Well, good morning. Mr. Rogers, with his zippered cardigans and canvas sneakers and handmade puppets, now that was before uh, we had the cool Muppets, Uh, Mr. Rogers was a pioneer in the early days of educational television for young children. Fred Rogers, a Presbyterian minister from Pittsburgh, started developing the characters and the themes of his program in the mid-1950s. But it wasn't until 1967 that Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood took its final form and appeared on PBS stations across the country. This sweet, sentimental, but smart program stayed in production until 2001 and remained on all public broadcasting service uh, stations until 2008. And most of us could sing it. It's a beautiful day in the neighborhood, a beautiful day for a neighbor. Would you be mine? Could you be mine? And he finished tying his sneakers and zipping his cardigan. He would sing, please won't you be, won't you be, won't you be my neighbor? Now the concept of neighborliness has changed over the years. It used to be that your neighbor was a geographic uh, designation. In early American rural communities, your nearest neighbor might be miles away. But those neighbors would still gather together for barn raisings and quilting bees and harvest times. In the urban environments, neighborhoods were composed of thousands of residents. But those um, hoods were, were drawn together and defined along ethnic lines like Little Italy or Chinatown. And you might never meet your neighbors, but your common ethnic identities helped create a communal and comforting environment. And the suburbs were born in the aftermath of the baby boom, and neighbors became the people just over the fence and down the cul-de-sac. But oftentimes these suburban neighbors were unknown and unconnected with no front porches, only back patios and private decks. Prefabricated neighborhoods could be very, very lonely places. Jesus is confronted in today's gospel text by a legal expert sent specifically to test Jesus' orthodoxy. This lawyer begins by... How did that feel reading the gospel reading this morning, uh, Deacon Jim, being a lawyer? I was sitting there wondering how um, how that was. But this lawyer begins by asking, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And when Jesus directs this legal mind to the instructions of the law, and this lawyer immediately called to mind the correct answers from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19, to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And seeking to justify himself, the lawyer follows up with, well, who is my neighbor? In other words, How inclusive must my circle be, or who can I legitimately exclude? It's hard for us today to imagine how startling this story was to those who first heard it. To say that the parable of the Good Samaritan was shocking would be a gross understatement. So not only did those considered righteous come off looking incredibly bad as the priest and the Levite completely abandoned the horribly wounded victim on the road crossing to the other side in order to avoid him. And Jesus' portrayal of the priests and the Levites' obsession 
of their religious duties at the expense of human need, there is an implied critique of the religious establishment of Jesus' day. And not a bad idea to look at our religious establishment today as well. Especially when many pastors have exchanged their pastoring and teaching to be chief executive officers in a business-like institution, exchanging pastoral care for administration and business, and even creative, trendy, and attraction-oriented worship services. The priest and Levite don't see the man in the ditch as a neighbor, but as a burden, as something that will delay them from accomplishing whatever task or duty that put them on the road in the first place. Now, the hero of Jesus' story is a questionable person. First, he's a Samaritan, and we talked about the, um, why Samaritans were considered outsiders, and we talked about that last week. Um, and an individual firmly outside the neighborhood, Samaritans rejected temple culture and the centrality of Jerusalem, placing them outside the family circle of traditional Judaism. Second, This Samaritan traveler has resources. He's traveling with means. He has supplies, a ride, cash on hand. He knows where to stay and who to contact. And the Samaritan's resourceful abilities make it possible for him to rescue, treat, transport, and provide care for the wounded stranger that he rescues from the road. Compassion is what motivates the Samaritan. So the question for us this morning is this, how is our compassion? Did you notice the Samaritan didn't rely on the church's animal to help the man, but he put this hurting half-dead man on his own animal? Yes, he had resources and we might not have much ourselves, but there's always something to give. We can spare a few minutes and sacrifice a little time. We can call for help, we can pray, or we can buy a meal. We are invited to be aware of how God is at work and how we are to join Him. It's about being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is doing and what the Holy Spirit is saying. So how is our awareness? How is our sensitivity to God's voice, the work of the Holy Spirit? How is our compassion? So who is our neighbor? Everyone is your neighbor. But at the heart of this parable of the Good Samaritan is not a lesson about who is my neighbor. That was the lawyer's question. It is about how to be a neighbor. Being a neighbor requires action. It is a verb. We are not to spend our lives determining who is our neighbor. We are to spend our lives being the neighbor to whom God puts in our path. Who is God putting in your path? I invite you to think about this morning who we see as our neighbor and who we overlook. In many ways, we are as clan-oriented as those in Jesus' original audience. We have a tendency to overlook and to avoid those from the other side, those who look different from us. But God calls us to more. God calls us higher as Christians. God created all people in the image of God. Not only that, but Christ died for all people. And God is calling us to be ambassadors of His love, compassion, mercy, and grace. 
Jesus redefines neighbor not in terms of race, religion, or proximity, but in terms of vulnerability. In other words, whoever is in need is your neighbor. So Jesus doesn't end this parable by asking who is your neighbor. He asks, who acted like a neighbor? Who proved to be the neighbor? But do you notice how this changes things? Suddenly, the neighbor isn't simply the one in need, but rather the one who provides for our need, the one who takes care of us. Which raises, the, it, um, this raises something interesting and often an unquestionable um, or uncomfortable question. Who has uh, been the neighbor by caring for us? Who has been a neighbor by caring for us throughout our lifetime? Who has been a neighbor who has cared for us in the most recent past? This is uncomfortable because we spend a lot of our time, energy, and money trying to be invulnerable, trying precisely to need as little as possible from those around us. Perhaps it's a fear of being a burden or a concern about owing others or that we are just afraid of being vulnerable because if we show our need, our need might not be met and we might be rejected. We just can't experience another disappointment or another broken heart. But whatever the reason, however, so many of us are absolutely horrified by the idea of showing our deepest needs to others and have a hard time receiving a compliment, let alone serious help. How about you? How about me? Are we allowing other people to help us in our time of need? It doesn't matter how many resources we have available to us, how big your bank account is. But we all have needs. We all need love and encouragement. We all go through difficult times. We all grieve. We have relationship struggles and the list goes on and on. It seems that according to Jesus, being a neighbor involves not only giving help, but also being willing to receive it, even and especially to and from those we don't normally see as like us. So perhaps the call this week isn't only to invite us to imagine those we should be helping, but those who might help us if we gave them a chance. Ultimately, I don't think these two readings are all that far apart. Truth be told, I think they are intimately related to each other. Perhaps the only way we can see ourselves as the Samaritan, the one called to give help and healing to those in need, is to first recognize how often we have been the traveler who, has been, who have been left for dead. Once we've been encountered by radical and shocking grace and love and mercy, that is, it's hard to look at anything or anyone quite the same. But for some of us, we experience this shocking grace from a broken time in our life. However, we have allowed too much time to pass, and we have forgotten where we have been, where we have come from. The grace and the love and the mercy given to us through Jesus Christ and the Good Samaritan. And we have become cold and distant and forgetful. I encourage you not to forget where we came from. We are all broken people in need of God's grace. 
We have been broken. God is in the business of redeeming and repairing and changing and transforming our lives. But don't forget where we've come from. Don't let too much time go in between. Remember. That's why we are called in the biblical story to remember. Remember where we've come from. Don't become cold. Don't become, don't become distant. What kind of community do we want to be? Certainly we have been formed and nurtured by a shared faith and common experiences and communal traditions, and there is nothing wrong with that. But we are also being invited to be a community that is also bound together by our shared need, by our awareness of our common vulnerability, by a sense that God has worked through so many people to care for us and once still to meet our needs through others and sometimes through those that we would least expect and also invites us to look around and care for others. Many of us have traveled the desert road of life, which has had its turns and twists, and found ourselves attacked, beaten up, and left for dead in a ditch by the road. And someone loved us to help, and someone loved us to wholeness. Can we now rise and do likewise to reach out to others in need? No church and no Christian can remain relaxed, satisfied, and content to watch people lying half dead in the ditch, literally and figuratively. We're surrounded with many broken people who are looking to be loved. The question this morning, again, is how is our compassion? How is our emotional and spiritual reserve? This will mostly be inconvenient to our schedules. But will we have compassion and be led into action anyway? As I've stated many times before, and you will hear it many times again, that the Christian life is about our daily life. The way we live our life at work, at the grocery store, in our neighborhood, at the ball field, at school, at home. The list goes on and on. So being on mission is being sensitive to the Holy Spirit, reaching out and showing love to those that God puts in our path during our daily life as we go about our normal and ordinary routines and activities throughout the week. So it is less about programs and so much more about listening to the Holy Spirit speak and being obedient during our daily living where we work, where we live, and where we play. Nonetheless, we have three communal opportunities coming up around the corner to put this teaching into action. First, the next outreach meal is coming this Saturday. Many poor, hurting, homeless, and half-dead people left along the ditch of life will be our guests in the parish hall. This Saturday, for a meal. A warm meal. And if you would like to be part of this, sign up at the kiosk. It'll be in the courtyard as we need help setting up and cooking, serving, and cleaning up. It takes a community to do this. And if you have questions, please contact Joyce Elliott. She's here this morning. Joyce, where are you? I know you were here. There's Joyce right there. Talk to her. She'd be more than happy to answer any of your questions. 
Um, and we'll have, we have something else that we would like to tell you about that um, here in just a little bit. Second, we have Art Week around the corner. We want to reach our neighborhood. This is more than just taking care of our own children, but reaching out and showing love and sharing the good news of Jesus to our neighborhood. And using art to help form and shape young children as seekers and as believers. And we need people to make this happen. Please contact John Colley if you have questions or the church office and we will direct you to the right place. By the way, you might be thinking, well, I'm not an artist. I can't do this. Okay, well, if you're not an artist, you can't paint, you don't know how to create, that's okay. You're off the hook. But if you know how to smile, then we invite you to come and be a part of this. If you know how to welcome people, if you know how to sign someone's name down on a register, if you know how to walk the premises to make sure that people are safe, if you know how to pray, we won't ask you to do it out loud if you have a fear about that. You know, God hears you if you're silent. It's just okay. There's all kinds of ways that you can be an extension. The hands, the feet of Jesus Christ. Third, and you're going to hear a little bit more about this again, uh, during my sabbatical from August 1st to October 31st, we will need people to step up and help serving during the week, the weekends, Sundays. We are so encouraged uh, by how many people have already stepped up, but there's still some more spots that need to be covered. So please contact Ruth Norman, our parish administrator, or Todd Jones, our senior warden. We have other opportunities as well, but we wanted to let you know of three that are right around the corner. You know, people are going to be coming to our lives and, and they're going to call us or they might show up at our door or we might run into them at the supermarket. This past week, I got a call from someone who comes from a, a different religion, um, from Islam. And they called and they said, the husband, I had a dream. And I had a dream and I want to talk to you about this dream about converting to Christianity. And I had the privilege of meeting with them yesterday here in the courtyard. And they asked me questions and I got to share the good news of Jesus Christ with them, and they gave their life to Jesus. But they wanted to know, are we welcome in your church because we're different? Are we a church that's going to love and welcome people without being suspicious because they speak a different language? That's their primary mother tongue. Are we going to be patient? Are we going to help someone who has absolutely no clue what we're doing in here today to be able to open up a, a worship booklet and say, this is where we are. Can I sit by you? Are we going to be welcoming? Are we going to be loving? I think we will. But be aware of those around you who God places in our life to love. And by the way, and I already had Andy, as busy as he is, already step up to help and and as much as he can in this regard, but they want to be baptized. Well, they need to be catechized. I'm going away for three months. Our next... Baptism takes place on All Saints Sunday, and that's going to be the first week I'm back. They want to be baptized that day. But how are they going to be catechized? By the way, God can use you to catechize people just as well as me. So if you'd like to talk with Andy and dream together about the ways that you can join together and catechize uh, this family, then please talk to me or talk to Andy. Please, won't you be? Please, could you be? Please, be my neighbor. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.